Welcome to Unsafe Space. I'm your host, Carter Laren, and I'm joined, as always, by the bad mamma jamma, Carrie Smith. Carrie, hey. Hi, Carter. Today, we're, we're excited to talk to Barbara Kay. Um, Barbara has been a weekly opinion columnist for Canada's National Post since 2003. For the past few years, she's also been a weekly contributor to the postmillennial.com, a right-of-center online news and commentary publication, and monthly to the Canadian Jewish News. Barbara appears twice weekly, Monday and Thursday mornings, on SiriusXM's Post Media channel with host Anthony Fury to discuss current events and ideas. Her writings also appear in Quillette.com, the Dorchester Review, a Canadian history magazine, and C2C Journal, a conservative ideas magazine, amongst others. Barbara is the author also of three books. So Barbara, um, with that intro, hope I didn't screw anything up. Uh, welcome to Unsafe Space. Thank you for joining us. It's, it's a pleasure to be with you today. Thank you for having me. Thank you for joining us. So you've written about um, a lot of different issues, but in particular, I've noticed that you have for years, before many of us were paying attention to what I'll call maybe the evangelical trans movement, um, you've been kind of paying attention to this movement. Uh, and so I, I maybe want to introduce people first through the, your most recent article that I've seen on this, which is about the six-year-old in Ontario. Maybe you can tell people what's going on there and, and that, that, that'll kick off a discussion. Okay. Okay. This is a, a woman who got in touch with me uh, because she had very strong concerns about the school system and what they were uh, doing to children. Her own daughter uh, was in grade one. She's six years old. So grade one at an Ontario uh, school school near on near Toronto, the city of Toronto. And uh, it was a young teacher was giving them lessons in gender. So this was a child who had always been extremely comfortable being a little girl. She had never questioned her gender, loved school, was one of those bright little kids who's just very gung-ho and all that. And suddenly was coming home with a kind of anxiety and asking her mother questions that, that really sparked a lot of concern, uh, such as my teacher says that uh, girls are not real and boys are not real. And uh, she began to question, am I? Am I a girl? Aren't I a girl? And maybe we should go to the doctor uh, so he can see what's wrong. And it, it went on like this, uh, you know, for weeks. She was, she was visibly upset uh, that, uh, and she could not understand what these lessons were about. Uh, it turned out that there were, the, the teacher was bringing up these lessons uh, apparently in part to accommodate a child who was in that grade and expressing confusion about his identity and was being teased by it. Uh, later, it came out that that child, the, the parents of that child, had asked the teacher to ensure that the children did not bully him, um, but she was adamantly opposed to gender fluidity lessons or anything like that. She just wanted her child not to be teased. Uh, but the later, that's sort of a sidebar, but that was why the teacher felt it was very important to initiate these lessons. Uh, so this mother made an appointment to see the teacher. The teacher says, well, this is the way the world is now, and this is the way things are. And this is, she, she, was the, she defended her program and said, children have to learn these things. Uh, so this continued, unsatisfied. She went to the principal. The principal backed up the teacher and said, uh, we are legally allowed to do these programs. 
and we are doing them. Uh, and she also felt they were a positive uh, contribution to children's education, in spite of the fact that this child's identity as a girl, you know, the, the important thing was to affirm, affirm the identity of those children who were having difficulties with their, you know, or, or confused about their identity, but they did not feel that it was necessary to affirm the identity of those who were not confused, who were not having any problems. In other words, it was a one-way street um, to, to uh, accommodate those with gender dysphoria, but not to reassure those, the 99% of other children who were not having problems of gender dys dysphoria. This, these parents, highly intelligent and articulate, I, you know, these are, these are not pushover parents, and they are also are not alarmists, and they are not illiberal, they are not intolerant, uh, none of that. They eventually made their way through the system, they eventually spoke to the superintendent of schools, the curriculum superintendent, they got absolutely no support whatsoever from anybody, it was all a kind of party line all the way. And so they initiated a complaint at the Human Rights Tribunal of Ontario. And I should say, by the way, I don't believe in human rights tribunals, but that's the way you have to go um, if, you are, if you want to affirm your own rights to gender identity, if you are, if you have the normal perspective of yourself as, you know, your gender and your biology are, are in sync. Uh, so they've lodged a complaint saying that the, uh, the teachers, the school, um, created what they call a poisoned environment, which is one of the criteria that the Human Rights Tribunal of Ontario says is a form of discrimination. And um, we'll see what happens with this complaint. If they were to win this, if they were, it may be dismissed, and I think that could very likely happen. I think the, these tribunals are extremely politicized. Um, but let's say it did, it did get undertaken as, a, as a, a case. It could very easily go the other way, simply because they might say, it's unfortunate that your child felt uh, had an adverse reaction to this this uh, education, but uh, this education is absolutely necessary. We're living in times when, you know, children may, whether they're minority or not, they need blah, 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 all this affirmation. So they, if they won, it would mean that the whole gender program would have to be scrapped, right? So right. the odds are unlikely that they will win. Yeah. 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 I know you've written a lot about... Um, or you've written in the past about Bill C-16. And for, for Americans, I have some trouble understanding, you know, what part of the bill applies or does it, does that have anything at all to do with this case? Does Bill Well, C yeah, it does. The, the, the Bill C-16 is, is about what are people's rights and it made an addition. C-16 is, is an addition of the words gender identity and gender expression to, uh, to what are already considered people's human rights in Ontario and in Canada. So, uh, you know, you have the right not to be discriminated against for your race, for your religion, all the usual things. And uh, Bill C-16 added to that list gender identity and gender expression, uh, which means if you identify um, as anything other than your biological sex, uh, your right to express that identity and, and for that identity to be accommodated uh, is part of your right not to be discriminated. So, for example, if you say, I want you to address me, I do not identify as either a male or a female, I identify as something in between, and I want you to address me with the pronoun 
juror, you know, whatever, whatever. No, no, you, you make up your own pronoun. You say, this is the pronoun by which I wish to be addressed. So if, if I say, look, I don't believe uh, in, in anything. I believe that some males believe that they are, their gender is female and the opposite. I'm quite willing to accommodate. If you are a male who says, I am, I, I identify as female, then I will call you she, and I have no problem with that. But to use a made-up pronoun for something I don't believe in, I don't think I should be compelled to say. Now, this, this, was, the whole, this was the whole issue on which Jordan Peterson mm -hmm. became famous, right? Um, in 2016, he released three videos explaining why Bill C-16 is actually quite a pernicious bill and would eventually lead to punishments such as fines and possibly imprisonment and everybody laughed at him and said no don't be ridiculous it's just this is just to make people with uh, gender dysphoria feel accepted and part of the mainstream and all these things but but as it turns out uh, he was right and it did become a very serious issue and now uh, if you do not totally accommodate someone's subjective feeling of their their gender um, and if you do not accommodate them with with uh, language that they insist on uh, that applies to them, even if it's made up words, um, you are liable to uh, being called as somebody who is a transphobic or, or uh, and you may end up with a fine or imprisonment. So that's why it's pernicious. Yeah. Would you say that it, just a quick question about here in the, U.S. Carter, would you say that it's similar to is the Equality Act here? What they're attempting to do with the Equality Act? Act? I have no idea. Oh, okay. It, there, it would be adding gender identity. It's a similar thing, I think, here. Well, um, okay. yeah, I mean, my understanding is that there is one difference is that the U.S. does have codified freedom of speech, so there would be a constitutional grounds to oppose forced speech or compelled speech, um, but I'm not sure about uh, other actions like compelling people to be in a different locker room or something. But, you know, Barbara, you, you also pointed out in this article that the school did not deny that there were negative consequences that accrued to the mm -hmm. city. They were just like, yeah. oh, well, collateral damage. That was their position, it seems like. Yes, I didn't use those words, but thank you for using them because that's basically uh, what the lawyer in the response, they had filed this complaint and then the lawyer for the Human Rights Tribunal or for the, sorry, the, the, the lawyer representing the school system, the school board, uh, stipulated, uh, yes, it's, it's very possible that this child suffered adversity. However, uh, that is not grounds for discrimination according to the legislation. So in other words, he's taking a very legalistic point of view. Uh, it's too bad if, if this child uh, was distressed to the point of anxiety, to the point of having to get counseling, uh, that's too bad. But the, basically saying the rights of any child in the system that is having gender confusion uh, trump the rights of the 99% of other children that do not. And um, uh, there seems to be a complete indifference to uh, the right of most children to feel comfortable in their own skin, not to feel frightened that they might not be real. Like who says that to a six-year-old child? It, to me, it's the same as saying, you know, you probably think that your parents are your real parents, but you might be adopted. Have you considered that? You might be, you might, you might, these might not be your real parents. 
and sending every child in the class home to say, are you my real parents? Or was I born? Did you give birth to me? Uh, because they want to make adopted children feel comfortable. Uh, to me, there's no particular difference there. What they should be saying is some children are adopted and some and most children are not. And everybody is loved just as much by their parents and all children, whatever they feel about their gender, they're all equal, they're all worthy. But uh, if someone, you know, that, but it is unusual or it is different or it is whatever the norm is um, to feel totally comfortable in your own biology. That is the norm. Well, it's also something that strikes me as odd is there's, like you say, it, it's not, this isn't really confined, philosophically, this isn't confined to gender. Like psychological suffering is kind of part of a part of life. Like yes. part, part of growing up, there's, we all have things we don't like about our bodies. So part of healthy psychological mm -hmm. development is embracing and loving who we are, despite the fact that maybe we feel we should be taller or better looking or not have that, you know, ugly birthmark or scar or limp or whatever it is, or the sound of our voice. Uh, I know a lot of people have a problem with the sound of their voice. This, this is just as true for sex organs as everything else. And it seems like it to me that you mentioned, what was the phrase you used? Let me, oh, you say now we're talking about effeminate boys or Tom girls or those kind of kids. Now they're being steered into trans land is the term that you used. And it's almost yeah. like they're yeah. really pushing it. They're not accepting it. They're actively pushing you into that direction. Um, is that well, your- Well, it is. There is an agenda here. Yeah. Yeah. They, they, there's no question. Yeah. Uh, trans activists are, are operating on, uh, they would like to believe that there is, they believe in this theory called gender fluidity. They would like to believe that it's very normal uh, to feel that there's a disparity between your biological sex and your gender. They would like to believe that this is something that um, a lot of people would feel if they would allow themselves to, and that uh, children are all socially constructed, uh, you know, to be, to act like the gender they were assigned, at, which is a, a stupid thing to say because we're all, uh, biologically, uh, our destiny is decided in the womb, not not when that we're born. Um, but that's this is this is not science. This is this is wish. This is a wish. And so uh, the trans activists are actively trying to recruit numbers. Uh, they would like to be uh, a significant. They would like there to be significant numbers of people in the population to reinforce. Uh, their own delusion that this is is normative and it's not so uh, they say well there's no such thing as sex or it's no such thing you know and so they're teaching these kids uh, where are you on the spectrum in other words they 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 tell the kids first uh, that it's a girl boy it's a spectrum and you're somewhere on this spectrum and any child that says well I'm right here at the edge I'm a girl and I feel like a girl they're gonna encourage them to say well sometimes maybe you feel you know that you want to play with boy toys or you want to, there's a lot of that going on. And of course girls can play. There's no strict definition of what a girl is. As you say, there, there, there is a, there is a norm, but it's, it's, it's very, it, it, it's a big umbrella to be a girl. Sure. There's tomboys. I was a tomboy. I never wanted to wear a dress. I always wanted to wear jeans. Uh, nobody ever said, Oh, maybe you're really a boy. Uh, but if they had, what if they had at school? You know, I have to tell you, after this uh, story came out, after my article appeared, 
I started getting emails from people and one was from a mother and I, I called her and spoke to her because she told me something astonishing. Um, she was in a small town in Ontario where the school was very small. There was only one stream for grade and there were only 30 kids in the whole uh, grade in that school. And she said after they started getting the same kind of gender programs, seven out of 32 children declared themselves to be trans. Now this is an impossible number. It is impossible. It is scientifically, epidemiologically impossible. And her own child was one of those kids who, who announced, you know, came home and said, I think I'm a demi-girl. Uh, and he didn't even know what he was talking about, but these were the lessons that he was getting. The spectrum, where are you on the spectrum? And all this stuff, uh, her child had to go to a psych. It, it's it's uh, it become kind of pandemic. It's a social contagion. It's a virus. And it is so abusive. Getting into the headspace of these kids, it's voyeuristic um, and it's it's experimental. Um, it, it, it's it's extremely experimental. They're using yeah. these kids as rab lats and uh, lab rats, rat, <laughs> lab rats, edit better, lab rats. <laughs> Sorry, you can keep it in. I don't care. Anyway. <laughs> I like so that's what they are. You, I like the, you like it? the phrase. I like it. I like rabbits. I also like that you <laughs> the phrase social contagion though, because I've been, I've heard that a few times related to this. And I, it, it seems, it seems to me on its face, it's kind of obvious that when you introduce something like this to children, like a friend of mine, who's the mother is saying, it's almost like we're forcing kids to grapple with something that only 0.02% of kids have ever had to grapple with. And now you're telling all 100% of kids that you have to make, you must make this choice. Yeah. So they're making choices and they don't know what they're making choices about. It's not a choice they naturally came to have no, to I make. Mean, first of um, all, you're putting ideas in their head they never had before. You're saying to them, um, you're, you're, you're introducing the idea of what is real and what is not. These are kids that have trouble distinguishing at six years old, children still believe in the tooth fairy. They still believe in Santa Claus. And you're trying to tell them what is the difference between gender and sex. These are kids with imaginary friends. So what, what are you actually doing to these children? You're invading their, their pure and so far unformed minds. And you're giving them information that they didn't ask for. And, and from, from my point of view, when you're talking to children about sex, the whole, all these things, you know, somebody once said to me, a reader once said to me, well, you seem so sure of your opinions about sex. When do you think children should be taught about this or that or the other? I say, when they ask. You know, I would never say to a three-year-old child, do you want to know where babies come from? No, you wait till a child. Well, yeah. seriously, that's yeah. what they're doing. So I, I waited until my children, well, if my children said, um, oh, where did I come from? I say, you came from mommy's tummy. I wait for the next question. If it doesn't come, I don't go further. Then right. a year later, I came out of your tummy? I say, yes, you did. Oh, how did I get out? Well, the doctor helped you to get out. I start with that. The doctor helped you to come out. I was... You know, I went to the hospital when it was time for you to be born and the doctor helped you to come out. Oh, she walks away. Six months later, how did the doctor help me out? Then I tell her, like it's, they, they let you know when they're ready and you shouldn't ever try to deflect them from the truth when they are ready, but you should never put stuff in their head they're not ready to get. 
So why are you teaching kids about homosexuality in grade one? They don't know about sexual desire yet. How do you explain homosexuality without explaining sexual desire? Why should a six-year-old be thinking about sexual desire when she's in the latency period or when he's in the latency period and that's not in their minds yet? You're forcing them and that's what voyeurism is. It is, it is getting excitement out of seeing children trying to grasp concepts uh, that titillate the adult, but they want to see that, that glimpse of understanding in the child, and they get a kick out of seeing the child kind of a little bit scared, a little bit, that dawning of understanding. And that is, I think, I'm not saying all teachers, believe me, are, <laughs> this is not that they're all getting a sexual titillation out of this, but behind the whole movement to teach children too young about stuff they're going to learn about and they should learn about, obviously, when they're old enough, but to try to insert it into their minds when they're too young, that to me, it has something to do with sexual voyeurism. And this has been bugging me for years, and I've never heard this discussed by anybody else. And I, I wish other people would get, some psychologists would get onto this. I've never heard anyone say it. Sorry for no, my rant. That, I was just <laughs> that way. It was great. It, it was. Uh, I, I've never heard anyone say it that succinctly and that accurately. And it is something that is really bothersome. And I, I couldn't put my finger finger on it exactly, but I think you're right. There is some level of perversion about uh, wanting to have children struggle with these concepts that they're not ready for. And frankly, as a parent, I'll say your description of how to talk to kids about things is is also spot on. I mean, it's, you, you, you give them the information when they're ready at the level at which they're ready. And they will tell you when they're not because they'll just and ask. And they know, and they, yes, they will. That's right, because they're very, I mean, kids don't filter out, uh, is this appropriate or isn't this appropriate? I mean, they don't, when they're asking these kind of questions, they'll ask, I, can I give you an illustration of what I mean by voyeurism and why I, Yes. When that when this first came to me a couple of years ago, <clears throat> a couple of years ago, there was a traveling exhibition and it was actually funded by the federal government, uh, by the heritage, uh, our heritage department, uh, because they didn't really understand what they were funding. But anyways, it was a traveling exhibition uh, called Sex, uh, an expose or something like that. I could send you the link to my article about it. And in this was, was um, sex for the ages, uh, all kinds of things associated with sex. And the age at which children were allowed to come and see it was quite young. Um, they were allowing, I think, uh, 11 or 12 year olds to come and see this exhibition. Part of the exhibition uh, was a segment on masturbation. And in this, uh, in this segment, they had um, a video, and uh, it was an animation of line drawings of both a woman and a man who were performing masturbation so, to explain the actual execution of, you know, what masturbation is. And so you have all these school children coming through, and they're all watching this video, right? And they're watching it together with their teacher or whatever. But there's other people at the exhibition, too. And all these people that are at the exhibition, 
let's say there's a couple of perverts amongst them, and they're watching these 11 and 12-year-old children watching this video. Now, I'm sure those children watching, some of them were squirming, and some of them were a little embarrassed, and some of them were this, and some of because this is not something that they should be watching in public. Anyways, and I said to myself, whoa, like, isn't anybody saying anything about this? I've, I hadn't seen any commentary on it. So I wrote a piece on it, and it had already toured Montreal, and it was now in Ottawa. And when I wrote the piece, it was then reviewed. Uh, it, it had a bit, Some parents had complained, and it had been reviewed, and they took away that video. They took away that video. Um, but I'm asking myself, who, who thought this one up? Who wanted to see children watching a video of line, even though they were line drawings and not live, but it was, you know, that's the whole principle of pornography is to have people watching other people doing things that you do in private, not in public. And to make it public is a form of pornography. And it is a voyeurism to have adults watching children watching that. So that was when I first got the idea that there's something wrong with the adults who are the, promoting early sex education with children. Uh, it, there's something that is very Kinsey-esque about this. You know, Kinsey, the father of modern sex education, uh, was a total pervert and loved to see children masturbating. And in fact, uh, got his information about children masturbating from known perverts who would describe how they would masturbate children all the time. This, this was very titillating uh, to Kinsey. Uh, and so I, I feel there is a kind of something very sick behind the push to early, early, early. And it's supposed to be all about inclusion and kids don't become homosexual till after puberty or they don't know they are, or they don't actually act on their, you know, they don't get the actual urges that until they are, uh, you know, in puberty, that's like, what, yeah. nine, 10, 11, 12. Why do you need to teach six-year-olds or seven-year-olds or eight-year-olds or nine-year-olds about homosexuality until they understand what sexual desire is? Sorry, I'm ranting again. Oh, it makes me think of, we just did a video, um, Carter and I were Part of it we were talking about, we watched um, a YouTube series called The Cut, oh, yeah. and they have, a, they have a series called Parents Explain, and you may have heard of it. There's one about parents explain masturbation, mm. and, it, and it just really uh, viscerally bothered me, but I was having trouble understanding why, and Carter kind of said some, something similar to what you said, which is that a lot of these kids are really uncomfortable visibly on camera with their parents showing them how to use sex toys and not wanting to be a part of it with all the cameras around, but the parents are still forcing this on them. This is disgusting. Yeah. And this is true. I, I find this is abusive because look, there's certain things everybody understands are things that are, I, one of the problems uh, and why I call it voyeurism is that a lot of adults that are activists, on sex education and, and, and this whole obsession with sex is that they have lost the ability to perceive the distinction between what is private and what may be public. And a parent should understand there's a big difference between people's kids standing around in a classroom watching a video on masturbation or on putting on condoms or whatever, and people that learn about it in private, in their home home when a when a mother says look i'm going to share this 
I'm going to tell you whatever you'd like to know, or you might be more comfortable looking at this little booklet, which explains everything in the privacy of your room or however you'd like to do it. That's how you explain, or that's how children should learn about, about sex. It's not because it's shameful. It's because it's a, they're considering their own bodies. They're thinking about their own bodies as you're talking to this. They don't want to think about their parents' bodies or their parents masturbating or their parents having sex. That is not what a young child wants to think about. Uh, and certainly not publicly in front of a camera. I can't even, can't even imagine the idiocy of parents who thinks that's a great idea to share that with the world, with their own children. Uh, there's something so horribly wrong ethically uh, with parents who have lost that distinction in their mind because they think what they're, they're that that sharing this is educating the world or what? I think what do they in some way the parents have to be just focused on their own aggrandizement. It's narcissistic. Yeah. Yeah, like it's it's extremely narcissistic. Um, this is not thinking about the child at all. Children know what privacy, I mean, they, they want privacy, especially little girls. They, they seek privacy uh, from a very early age and nobody, tells, nobody has to tell them that. Most little girls, they become quite modest about their bodies without anybody telling them. Um, and uh, that has to be respected uh, or else you're, you're, not, you're not thinking uh, about the child, you're thinking about something else. Yeah. Yeah. You reminded me of the existence of this gender unicorn that's being taught in schools. And it really is a, I, it makes me, it makes me wonder how many of these activists actually have children, or if they're just kind of childless adults who have this sick fascination with, mm. like you said, really getting kids to think about stuff that they're not that aren't at the forefront of their mind anyway, um, that are titillating, that somehow sexualize children. And for some reason, the gender unicorn to me really just symbolizes that. It's like, who, who takes a, a little unicorn child drawing thing and tries to talk about people you have sex with and what your gender is? Yeah, and yeah well, I mean, this, look, this is, this is uh, 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 the gender unicorn is a soft entry into thinking about sex and all its permutations uh, and, and thinking about it real early. This is, uh, I mean, you know, I don't want to, I don't want to use too strong language, but there, it's like a kind of grooming technique. Yes. Getting kids to have sexual thoughts when they don't, they didn't ask to have them. They didn't ask for them. And you're putting them in their heads. Uh, isn't this a form of grooming? Am I, am I over? I don't, I don't no, think you're right. you're There's right. another one, by the way, called the gingerbread man. I don't know if you guys have seen that one. Mm -hmm. Yes. Yeah. 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 What, one thing, by the way, that I meant, I meant to mention earlier that I really, I really liked is I, I'm, I'm interested often in how subtle changes in our language are used to frame discussions without people realizing what's happened. And you pointed this out earlier in the conversation, but you didn't, um, you didn't say actually what uh, you've written before, which I, I really like, which is you've made the distinction when, when people say 
what sex you're assigned at birth. That's something that we say is a phrase all the time, assigned at birth, assigned at birth. Even people who aren't into that just kind of use that phrase or we let that phrase go. And you said, no, 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 you're not assigned to gender at birth. The gender is observed at birth or sex. You, you, we've, we've observed your sex at birth. Yes. We didn't yes. assign sex, we observed it. And I think that's a very important distinction. Exactly. You actually introduced me also to this idea, and I know you, you read it on um, another uh, website that deal, it's for, I think it's specifically for parents dealing with, with gender dysphoria in their kids, but um, this, the different types of gender dysphoria and this rapid onset gender dysphoria, which is what I think um, you call the social contagion or a possible social contagion. Can you maybe describe what that is? Because I think a lot of us just think of gender dysphoria as, you know, when we hear instances of kids, um, you know, identifying somehow, we kind of assume that maybe that they were just like this from birth and we're just hearing about how they've been so different from birth and they should be accommodated. And, you know, we don't want to be rude to them if they've been that different, but that's not what's happening. Can you talk about what rapid onset gender dysphoria is and that phenomenon? Okay, this is this is a phenomenon that we've noticed in recent years, and it, it it occurs mostly with girls. Although, let's say more than three quarters are girls, and and the rest are boys. Uh, this is a this happens when you have uh, children who, up until the age of puberty, have never shown the slightest sign of gender dysphoria. They may, most of them have had other issues. Uh, they've had they some of them are on the spectrum. Many of them are on the spectrum. Uh, many of them have had social difficulties, many of them have been diagnosed with anxiety or depression, uh, and many of them have had uh, troubles at school, whatever. They're, they're, some of them are, have had totally normal uh, upbringings. I mean, it's, it's, it's a mix, but there is a pronounced strain of those who have had other undiagnosed or diagnosed uh, problems. They get to puberty, let's say they're thir- or 12, 13, 14, suddenly, I'll talk about the girls because that's why I knew, know more about. Uh, suddenly, they um, they are having many social difficulties, and and they go online. They go uh, onto Tumblr or Reddit or some of these websites where uh, this gender dysphoric uh, thing has settled in as as a kind of recruitment center, and they find all kinds of enticements. Hey, are you having difficulties at school? Are you this? Are you that? You know, have you ever considered that you're maybe in the wrong body? Maybe you're this, maybe, you know. So they suddenly uh, say, maybe that's what's wrong with me. Then they're welcomed into this group. Uh, Oh, you're one of us. You know, they've got friends. Suddenly they've got friends. Or alternately, they have a girlfriend at school or a friend at school who's going through this process. And they're very susceptible because they want so badly to be, have friends. Uh, that they say, maybe that's what's happening to me too. The point about uh, this is it's become a contagion because of social media uh, and because the schools are very affirming. So all they have to do is go to school one day and say, I think I'm a boy. And the school will, oh, uh, okay, what would be your, what would your name, what, what boy? No, we won't tell your parents, don't worry worry, you're safe here. Maybe you'd like to join the Rainbow Club or whatever. So it's, it's something that they often find online or they find through somebody they know, but the effect is magnified by the affirmation they receive 
through these chat rooms and, and schools and everything else. And they, um, because they're, many of them are on the spectrum, they're the kind of kid that once they get an idea in their head, very difficult to dislodge it. They turn against their parents. They become very hostile. Oh, you're trying to ruin my life. Uh, so-and-so says that I might kill myself if I don't become a boy. Um, they go to a psychologist. The psychologists all affirm it because that's the new training now for psychologists is if a child tells you they're gender dysphoric, uh, believe them and affirm them. You, they don't even ask about previous. I mean, I've spoken to so many parents. I can tell you that there is a real pattern here. Try to find a psychologist who will say, and has your child had any other difficulties? Let's talk about the other difficulties first. I see. So maybe she's not gender dysphoric. Maybe she's just very depressed. Maybe we can do something about the depression before we treat the dysphoria. Uh, and when they do, as I spoke to one mother who finally found a psychologist who said, I don't see, I don't see transgenderism here. I see a child that's very upset and, and has, you know, she just gave them the average test that you give a kid. No, no, this child has a lot of anxiety and depression. We're going to treat that first. Treated it the depression with Prozac, bingo, um, this boy suddenly realized, oh, he didn't want to be a girl. Um, he was just depressed. So it's happening and you're getting rates of, of um, kids doing this and they're going the route. They're, they're taking the pills. They're getting, uh, the girls are getting um, uh, mastectomies. Uh, then once you go on testosterone, which they do when they're old enough that their parents can't keep them from doing so, this is, they start having irreversible effects. Once you've gone on testosterone for a year or two, you know, you've got the hair on the face, your voice deepens, uh, you can become sterile. And those are not reversible if you detransition, by the way. So, you know, a in, lot. In some know. states, I mean, I know, and I was just looking it up because I think in California and the United States, they passed a law where you can start doing that without parental consent, yeah, you know, younger than, and I personally know a girl who started it at like 15. Well, uh, that's, I, I know a girl in a case, there's a case in, in British Columbia right now uh, where our parents are separated. Uh, the child is uh, 13 or 14 at most, uh, decided uh, that she's a boy. The father just thinks that it's the case case of rapid onset and, and that she has other difficulties and does not want to give her permission for the hormones. The mother is adamantly affirming and wants it. Uh, the courts have said that he has to call her by her new name. He has to use the new pronouns. Uh, and if he doesn't, he's going to be not allowed to see her. It's actually uh, in progress right now, this case. But, but so she's taking, yeah, she's taking the hormones because the mother wants her to and, and, um, even if she didn't, uh, probably she'd be allowed to. This case was in the news, I think. Yeah. yeah. I saw this one. Okay, yeah. Yeah. And he's, oh. he's facing fines for not referring to her yeah. by the yeah. right pronoun. That's right. Well. Yeah. Mm -hmm. A couple things I, I think maybe people don't realize that you've alluded to or talked about a little bit here is one is um, these kids are being coached online um and, and and to some extent i'm sure in real life by trans activists about how to fool the system how to how to make sure that if you go to see a doctor you pass as qualifying for uh gender reassignment treatment and and they're they're very they're pushing this so they're they're learning how to, how to game the system online and you even quote someone who 
uh, a boy who was kind of caught telling his older brother on the phone, like, oh, they bought everything I said. Like, it totally, totally worked, if I recall that. Um, so that's happening. The flip side is um, I don't think a lot of us realize how much of this non-science has leaked into otherwise legitimately respected scientific institutions. And I'm wondering if you can talk about that a little bit, because I know you, you wrote about some an endocrinology example where the there's a, I think the, um, what, Endocrine Society uh, in the Journal of Clinical Endocrinology and Metabolism uh, basically has a non-scientific view. They've been infiltrated. Do you, can you talk about that a little bit? Totally infiltrated. I mean, the, the uh, this is the endocrinology, the profession of endocrinology is kind of a ground zero for um, treatment of gender issues because they're the ones that that issue the hormones and the you know and they're the ones that know about the negative effects of these off-label hormones that are not meant to be used for years and years and years and years uh they're meant for very specific situations and they have been so cowed uh, they've been cowed into submission so they've put out uh, statements of affirmation um i have a friend who is an endocrinologist and he is disgusted with all this but he says if I, he says, I used to get children referred to me that had gender confusion. And I, the first thing I did was to say, first, I'm going to refer them to a psychiatrist for evaluation. Then we'll talk about hormones after that. If, if the psychiatrist feels that that's, he's not allowed to do that anymore. He, he has to, if the child says, uh, I self-identify as a girl, however young, he is obligated to uh, issue prescriptions for hormones or else he says, I could lose my position at the hospital. I really have no choice. He says, I feel terrible. I'm disgusted by it, but uh, what can I do? There are a few retired or uh, endocrinologists that are so high up that they can't be fired. And they uh, like Dr. Blanchard and, you know, who, uh, or sexologists who uh, with, training who say this is this is professional abuse of one's authority um and this is wrong but there are very few very few uh who will speak up michael i'm sorry michael laidlaw michael laidlaw i believe he's a retired endocrinologist and he speaks out extremely forcefully i met him actually at a conference he speaks out extremely forcefully on this issue but he's one person um and i know and we we you know too that in a few years, hopefully a few years before that, but sooner or later, this entire uh, this entire phenomenon is going to be ex it's going to be exposed as a mass hysteria. It's like uh, a mass delusion, like the tulip fiasco in Holland in you know the nineteenth century, the eighteenth century. Or it, satanic no, no, panic. It, it, it's, remember that? Yes, yes, yeah. yes. It's exactly like that and uh but at least at least in those cases you did have some psychologists and psychiatrists who said come on like this you know this is getting out of hand but you had judges you had judges that that uh bought into this nonsense uh people went to jail they went to prison uh over you know three-year-old children saying yeah yeah uh yeah he they made us get naked and put us on a an altar and 
and I mean, they, 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 it, it, it was bizarre, but um, psychologists, social workers, all these people that, that are supposed to be in positions of trust with regard to, um, you know, our essential uh, vulnerabilities as human beings. And it's just so horrifying to know that educators, psychologists, doctors, you know, medical people, they're all in cahoots. Uh, with something that is going to be exposed as a hoax of of enormous proportions, and the victims are all around us, and they're falling like ten pins as we speak. Um, I'm just horrified by the emails I get from parents who send their kids off to school perfectly normal one day, and a week later they're like chattering about you know maybe their their pansexual demigirls. What what kind of crap are they learning in these schools? This is horrible horrible meanwhile they they uh they're not worth minimum wage after high school either that's what the, <laughs> the wrong stuff <laughs> that's a whole other thing <laughs> i guess that's one of the things that concerns me as someone that you know does care about gay people or people who may actually be trans or like you know that there are small percentages of the population who are abnormal in the sense of not fitting into the, the mainstream um, or just pe- or people who just mm-hmm. are tomboys or are going to express slightly differently. Um, of course. All these people are being damaged, and, and you're less likely to be, you know, if you're a young woman who is would maybe in the past have identified as, you know, eventually become a lesbian, mm-hmm. uh, likely you're going to be thrown on a lot of really harmful drugs and possibly convinced to do uh, surgery, all of which is... Uh, irreversible. And it's so anti-scientific to me that it, it baffles me that there are people with medical degrees pushing this. I mean, your brains aren't even done developing until mid-20s. Um, we all know the hormone ride that happens during puberty. The idea that you could make any real decision about your sexuality and identity prior to or during puberty is so ridiculous and so obviously anti-science that I, I, it's hard to, it's hard for me to believe. It's hard for, I think, a lot of people to believe that medical professionals are pushing this crap. We should make a distinction between uh, assuming you're trans uh, before puberty and uh, assuming you're gay before puberty. If you think you're gay, uh, there's no harm done if you experiment and decide you're not, or if you decide, or you think you're not, and then you decide you are. This is this is sexual desire, sexual preference, and this has. I yeah. always said LGBT. They should take the T. The T has nothing to do with the other with the other um, uh, letters because the other letters are have to do with what you do with your body as it is. You, you, I mean, lesbians and, and gay men accept that they're male and female. There's no problem. They're not confused about who they are. They're, and they're not confused about who they desire. But, you know, trans is something that, uh, as you say, there's no going back once you've gone a certain distance in, um, and there is fungibility. So, but here's what I don't understand. Why are gays and lesbians supporting tra- this trans activism? Don't they realize that what, the trans activists are doing is kind of stealing gay and lesbian children when they're very young because many of them are non-conforming 
So let's say a little girl is very tomboyish. Uh, maybe she is a lesbian, maybe not. Uh, let's say a little boy is a little effete. He likes to play with the girls. He likes ballet dancing or whatever. Maybe he's just a gay boy. And I, I certainly know some gay boys that became men that I knew in their childhood. I sort of saw signs of effeteness. And I said, oh, well, maybe he's gay. You know, and fine, whatever. But that same kid today is going to be encouraged to think maybe you're really a girl. And I don't understand why the gays and lesbians, the adults, aren't saying to themselves, hey, wait a minute. Uh, they're kind of invading and they're kind of recruiting uh, people like us who would have become, who would have turned out to be merely gay or lesbian. And they're, and they're encouraging them into a life that is going to be difficult at best um, and maybe horrible at worst because we know that 42% of uh, people who identify as trans do eventually attempt suicide many of them after they've transitioned. So we know that transitioning is not even. So where are the gays and lesbians of this? Why don't they step up to the plate and say, look, enough. A lot of these kids are just gay or lesbian. Leave them alone. But they don't. That's what's so weird. I think that might be starting to change just a little bit, though. I've, I've wondered the same thing because obviously there's, there's been a huge um, uh, opposition in the gay and lesbian community towards yeah. conversion therapy. And this to me seems like a type of surgical <laughs> conversion yeah. therapy. Um, and, but I am starting to see, I will say a positive note, like we, we're starting to see some people in the gay and lesbian community, not just gays and lesbians, but also transgender people who are saying that these trans activists do not speak for me. What they're doing to children is harmful. Yeah, so, but are there, are there enough of them? And are they in any position of authority with education programs yeah, and stuff like that? So. I don't think so. I don't think they have the, yeah, they don't have the levers of power. They're out there on Twitter and Facebook. Uh, I've seen a lot of them myself. It's very encouraging. I feel, oh, great. It's nice to see these voices. Uh, but they are, they are um, marginalized yeah. amongst those who have the ears of politicians and the heads of education programs, you know. So yes. uh, where's the power? Where's the power? I have a friend who works for Harvard Medical School. She's not a doctor. Her job is ideology. Her job is teaching medical students about gender identity and pushing for hospitals to remove um, biological sex from medical wristbands and, you know, celebrating those things as victories. But that is, it, it blows the mind because as you're, as you're talking about, you know, the people with power and the people at the, the medical institutions, you know, that's at Harvard Medical yeah, School. Well. But as part of her job, she travels the country teaching medical students everywhere, not just at Harvard. So that's what I mean. I mean that, that this is so entrenched now uh, throughout all the echelons of uh, people that are the gatekeepers of our culture, the educators, the social workers, the psychologists, uh, the politicians who take their marching orders from all these people. Um, and they're all in lockstep now. So as I say, uh, an individual parent uh, can't find, it's difficult to find a psychologist who will treat a child uh, appropriately, like looking at the whole child and saying, uh, this is just one aspect, but I want to understand what's going on underneath. Um, or or uh, they find themselves uh, afraid to speak at, at, at um, uh, meetings of parent-teachers, like they have groups 
where uh, they have groups where parents of, of, of gender dysphoric children can meet, but there's only one line you can take. If I know one parent who went to uh, the hospital in Ottawa had a group for parents, so that she, she goes and she said, I'm afraid that we're moving too fast with these children. I'm afraid I would like to take a more watch and wait approach too. And the other parents turned on her and one said, oh, I feel unsafe. I feel unsafe, started to cry. And, and she said, um, uh, wait, you're taking notes. Turn in your notes, turn in your notes. And one of them said, I'm gonna call the police. I'm gonna... Now this is the kind of hysteria I'm talking about. So, the, so this parent, she feels that she is cut off from, that, that there is nobody in authority that she can speak to who will affirm her right as a parent to even have a voice in how this, uh, this her child is gonna be treated. So uh, the, not only has the child become hostile, but nowhere, when, when the child tried to commit suicide and was admitted to hospital, they didn't even wanna hear from the parents. They didn't want them, they didn't want the parents to give her back history. They wouldn't allow the parents to introduce her history of anxiety and depression and uh, previous you know, suicidal uh, ideation. They didn't wanna hear from her at all because they were treating her strictly as if this was a oh, poor transgender person who's not being supported by society. That's it, that's all they wanted to know about. So when we say it's entrenched in, in, the, um, uh, in the machinery of life, um, it really is in a way that even the satanic rituals thing in their wildest dreams, they couldn't yeah. have hoped to have the kind of um, systemic systemic support for this delusion uh, that we're witnessing. It's like the crucible. Mm. It makes me think of the crucible, but like the mass, yeah, mass yeah. delusion. Yeah. What's worse is they're getting, as you point out in one of your articles, they're, they're getting violent and, and, you know, I think you talked about how it's strange bedfellows that suddenly you, we are on the side of radical feminists. But uh, similarly, we, we had a similar experience where, you know, we interviewed Megan Murphy, who's someone you wrote about. Mm -hmm. And yes. um, look, I'm sure Megan and I, I think she's probably a Marxist. I'm sure we disagree on 98% of the things. But um, I obviously I support her right to free speech and, and push her, her, her ideas. But, you know, this is the kind of thing where when, when a feminist, a traditional feminist, now derogatorily called a TERF, a trans-exclusionary radical feminist, when they speak up, uh, you point out they get yes. attacked and actually threatened. You, you talk about uh, Morgane Ogre, I think is her name, or is she a political candidate who doc, argued for doxing someone and, um, and, uh, and actually filing a complaint against them because they held up a sign that said trans women are men, truth is not hate, women is biological reality. It's it's odd to me. And and then a lot of people piled on and like, I think you quoted some tweets about <laughs> calls for violence against these people, yes. which by the way, Twitter ignores. Um, yes. But it's, uh, I guess, I guess what, it really seems to me like a an evangelical fundamentalist religious ideology that we're dealing with here. It's not science-based. It's not compassionate or caring. They're not just trying to help people. They are crazy, hysterical religious ideologues willing to do physical harm to people 
to push their agenda. And it seems like they want to take over parenting from parents. Well, there's no question that they want to take children away from their parents. Um, they are, uh, there's no difference from a fundamentalist uh, ideology. They, uh, if you don't believe, if you, if you express, uh, uh, if you're an apostate or if you're an infidel, uh, then you should be removed from Twitter and, and lose your job and uh, uh, other bad things should happen to you. And Jordan Peterson was absolutely right about what would happen once this idea of gender identity was was enshrined as a right and it's a subjective it's a subjective idea i decide what sex i am or what body i you know and, and if i say i am a woman i am a woman so this is of course you know words have meanings and if you distort the meanings or you say uh, it means what i say it means and we have no common understanding of what the word means then you get consequences you get rape centers who get closed down when they won't accept a biological male as a counselor to women who have been raped. Uh, if, if courts don't understand, you know, or if, if, the, if the system doesn't understand how ludicrous uh, this idea is that uh, women have the right, you know, to safe spaces, we say we want to protect women from harm. We say uh, that uh, toxic mas masculinity is, is a terrible problem. But then when you get, I don't know, any more toxic biological males than um than trans women they they have the toxicity of an enraged uh uh biological male and the appearance of a female and uh and the 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 uh, uh the anger uh that uh, translates into uh, threats of violence when you won't call them a woman there's there, there's so much absurdity here that if we could have a sense of humor about it. It would be funny, but there's nothing really funny about it because uh, this is a form of women erasure. And then, of course, in sports, you get these hulking great guys, you know, who I think I'm a woman. And but there's something very funny about it. <laughs> there is something funny, right. but not if you're the woman who lost right. the race because, you know, you're, you're, there's a six foot two guy. Or the scholarship uh, or the. Yeah, yeah. Or, yeah. But, you know, sports particularly gets to me because. Um, my daughter was an elite athlete. She was a triathlete. And I'm trying to imagine myself watching her come in like fourth in a race that she would have won because three biological males, you know, are like four minutes ahead of her because they've got like twice the lung power and twice the, this is, it's in sports that I see it as, as the most ridiculous because sports has always been about a level playing field. And now you have sport guidelines coming out of, you know, a sport, uh, all these sporting associations uh, that are saying if if uh, if someone identifies as that's all they need, they don't have to take testosterone. Uh, they don't have to reduce testosterone anymore. They don't have to actually be living as a woman. Nothing. And in fact, from season to season, this is our own Canadian guidelines for for schools. Not only can a person identify and 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 get into a sport um, as a woman if they. All they do is announce that they, but the next season, if they want, they can then re-identify as a male to go into a male sport. Unbelievable. Uh, are we, are we in, are we in uh, Alice in Wonderland or what? I, yeah. Are you yeah. familiar with this, uh, this uh, rapper Zuby from the UK? No. He's so <laughs> funny. Okay. You have to look him up because just to make a point, and I'm saying this because you talked about the humor in it. He, to make a point on his Twitter profile, he, um, he filmed a video of himself breaking the women's powerlifting record. Oh, oh I 
saw that. that. I did. Yeah, I didn't know his name. I yeah. I mean. I identified as woman when I looked at the book. That's the kind of humor we need more of. Because if people, if, if, they, if they see how, if they see other people laughing, then maybe they'll get, gee, maybe this is kind of ridiculous. Yeah. I think, I think once you're down the rabbit hole, you lose sight of how absurd your position is uh, because you're not paying attention to um, the outside world at all. You're, you're sort of, uh, you've, you've, you've got blinkers on so bad that you can't even see uh, anything beyond uh, your own little, you know, this, this little hole you're down. And I do feel sorry for the radical feminists. Um, you know, it's, it's like the, they always say revolutions eat their children. Well, the feminist revolution is now seeing its own children um, become even more radical in another direction. And they're the ones that are suffering the most. I do feel for them. Yeah. It seems to me that, you know, there aren't actually that many radical trans activists, as you point out, but they are in positions of power and they couldn't really accomplish anything without a lot of allies. Um, which brings the question up to my mind of why is this happening? Why are we culturally approving of this? Well, um, we are living in times when progressive, uh, progressivism is the prevailing trend. And the thing about progressives is they are cultural Marxists. Uh, you know, a century ago, they would have been all about the worker and how he's downtrodden and everything else. But, you know, that didn't work. The workers didn't rise up and unite and make a revolution. So they switched to other forms of oppression. And so now gender has become sort of the workers of the world are are the sort of, uh, you know, the, the uh, uh, first the gays, they won that revolution. Um, and so then, then it became, trans became the new civil, uh, you know, uh, civil battle, civil liberties battle. Um, and they're trying to piggyback on real issues. For example, the, you know, uh, uh, the issue of black, uh, black oppression, which was, real and uh needed to have a movement to and and it was a great movement and it did accomplish great things so they're just saying okay well uh and it's true that homosexuals suffered a lot by, by being you know called perverts and everything else that was a necessary i think it was but now you've got you sort of come to the end of that road um and the trans sort of grew out of that and nobody took a critical look at it. Nobody, you know, this whole idea of gender fluidity, this feminism is at the heart. If you want to, if you want to get back to first premises, uh, it's feminism. Feminism, which declared that all of uh, gender roles were socially constructed. This was their initial theory, that there is no difference between the sexes that is not socially constructed. Yes, men are on the whole bigger and stronger and all that, but in fact, um, their roles in life, the, 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 the uh, controlling male and the vulnerable female and all, that's all socially constructed. So we change all that. But they're sort of morphed into this idea that everything's up for grabs, everything's fluid, and there's no objective uh, difference between the sexes to begin with. And that's what I mean about the revolution eating its children. The feminists started it, but they could not have foreseen uh, what it would morph into. But the progressives can't abandon this idea because they're committed to it, right? Um, you know, if, you, if you're progressive, yeah. you buy the whole package. 
You can't be, yeah, you, you can't say, oh, I'm a feminist through and through and through, except, you know, I don't really approve of abortion. Well, try that. You know, you won't get very far with that, will you? You have to approve of, you have to approve of unlimited abortion or you're not a real progressive. You have to be anti-Zionist or you're not a real progressive. Doesn't matter if you actually, I secretly kind of like Israel. No, 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 no. You know, then you're not a progressive. You're not they're one of us and they'll kick you out because they're ideologues. It's, it's intersectionality. Total ideologues. Conservatives yeah. are not ideologues. Yeah. It's, it's, um, it's whether I, by the way, I don't, I was, I was one of these SJWs for 20 oh. years, Barbara. <laughs> so it, it is possible to Yay! leave it behind. It's just rare. Yeah, it shows we're an <laughs> open mind. You know, no, I, I, I actually have much more respect for people that have been there and, and sort of, uh, evolved by having an open mind and by thinking critically than people that are just have been conservatives from day one, like me, like, you know, I, I still, I think I have critical intelligence and all that, but <laughs> I never, no, I never had to go through a dark night of the soul and say to myself, oh, I've been wrong for 40 years. I, you know, there was none of that. Um, but, but I think it's marvelous when, when somebody does recognize that, uh Oh, uh, something's wrong here. I'm not not happy with my, you know, perspective here. I've got to got to rethink but this. But it is. So it's all part you. of one package. It's when, yeah. as Carter said, like transgender evangelists. It's but they're just part of it. This bigger, broader, yeah, religion um, that we we shorthand. I call it SJW, but it's it's what you're talking about. It's that's this a new form of identity based Marxism. Yeah, exactly. And and uh, uh, the thing about Marxism is the, the, the thing about Marxism is that it has this idea that the past is over, like that you can restart again, you can remake uh, human beings in a new image, and um, that all of history has been wrong and, and crazy up till now. Now we're starting totally fresh. This idea, if you believe that, then you can believe anything then you, you, could, you could believe that there's no such thing as men and women. You could believe that sex is a construct. You could believe all of that if you actually have no respect whatsoever for anything that ever happened before you were born. You know, that's all over. Like, so uh, if you yeah. take that attitude, then yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's also, I mean... Marxism is obviously like quintessentially collectivist, right? And so it's, if you're going to adopt any sort of collectivism, then it's easy to hop from one version to another version of collectivism. If you're, okay, well, if, if you're primary, if you primarily are a member of a class rather than an individual, um, it's pretty easy to shuffle around how we define classes and just paint you with whatever brush we want. Do you think there's going to be uh, the equivalent of like, I know some people have tried this already, but I don't think it's popular. Are there going to be like transracial people that are going to get away with, you know, in, in five years? Are we going to see, you know, white guys who claim that they're black women? Well, I mean, uh, they, they would actually have the right to do that. But uh, there's not much of a basis to uh, to grow that kind of a movement unless somebody was doing it as uh, for ideology illogical reasons and we did have this one woman Rachel Dolezal uh, who did and 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 she was sincere and she does identify as as black and her but I don't think we're going to see a whole movement of that because look the trans phenomenon is real gender dysphoria is actually a real thing 
Um, but uh, so people have have Racial sort of is uh, not? just is that what you're saying? onto it. No, I don't. I don't think. I don't think in history you've ever seen this kind of thing as a phenomenon. I don't. I don't believe so. Anorexia is real, and and by the way, anorexia did produce um, a lot of people who. I mean, it did. It did affect the culture in the sense that being thin or the culture affected anorexics. I read. A, I read a very interesting thing uh, just recently. Was that in um, in the third world in Africa? Nobody ever heard of anorexia, right? Uh, so nobody was anorexic, uh, but then people started watching, you know, uh, American TV or culture and that they started to, to get these messages and, and, and they would see reports of anorexia and, and suddenly anorexia started popping up, you know, in parts of the population that were watching. These are cultural trends. There's always, uh, there's always a ground zero. There's always a few people or a small, tiny proportion of the population that does suffer from these disorders. But it is a disorder. Like, we shouldn't lose sight of that. Gender dysphoria is a disorder. It's not natural. But what they're teaching in the schools is they want desperately to get away from this idea that it's a disorder and desperately to uh, insert it into the LGBT thing as just a kind of another form of, of something that is totally natural and maybe it's not, you know, half the population, but everybody's there on a spectrum. Like there isn't anybody that is not subject to this uh, fluidity, uh, but, it's, but they're wrong. <laughs> I like that. <laughs> it reminds me of something, of something that Carrie pointed out, uh, which is that you now also start to see fetishization of a lot of a lot of mental disorders and where people will put in their Twitter profile like, oh, I'm I'm uh, borderline and I have anxiety disorder or whatever it is. Like they, they start listing their disorders as kind of badges of honor or as, um, you know, marks of what class they belong to. And, you know, in sort of a proud way rather than saying, yeah, it kind of sucks that I've got uh, bipolar and I'm struggling with it. It's like, no, 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 I'm bipolar. That's a thing. I'm a protected class, which uh, is a small step from gender dysphoria. Well, it's yeah, it's a marginalized it's, identity. Yeah, I think I think there's part of what you say is true. I remember back in the day, back in my day, very long ago, uh, it was a sort of a class thing in the sense of being very educated to uh, associate your, uh, to call yourself neurotic. It was like I don't know. Do you remember the book um, uh, Catcher in the Rye? Do you remember yes. that was a yeah. Did you, do kids still read it in high school? I don't know. It was a very popular book. <clears throat> it was written in the fifties. Oh, still do, probably not. Okay, it's so on a band it, list now. Oh, okay. Anyways, <laughs> it was a, it was a hugely phenomenal success. Every high school it was on every high school curriculum, and it was about a boy who was like marginalized and disaffected, and he had to go to a psychiatrist. But he was he wealthy. He went to private school, and uh, he was an upper class white privileged kid uh but his the authors jd salinger uh, was it was about he was writing about himself and other people like him and they were all these like urban educated uh intellectual class uh jewish uh, nervous types you know uh very woody allen-esque in a way um and it was a mark of honor to you were so brilliant that you were of course neurotic and sensitive and suffering and you know, it was like, 
it was a class thing in its own way. And I remember sitting around in, at university and people talking about how neurotic they were. Um, and, and instead of saying anxiety and depressed, it was this neurosis and that neurosis, uh, but it was a badge of honor. Uh, this is for educated people. Uh, when you talk about, when you talk about um, any kind of dysfunction or mental disorder or anything like that, and you, and you talk about it in terms of feeling pride, uh, only educated people talk this way. Nobody who isn't overeducated talks that way. So you're really positioning yourself uh, as, uh, well, what can I say? I'm so smart. I'm so you know, educated. I'm so this, I'm so that. Uh, and look, I also suffer uh, from, from all this other stuff too. <sighs> you know, pity me. <laughs> like, a, like a first world problem kind of thing where maybe the... Oh, yeah. Yeah, think. Yeah, think. Yeah. It yeah. doesn't... It doesn't um, this idea, my old ideology, it doesn't encourage you to see any mental health problems as things to work past. It encourages you to, to dwell on them and to exactly, and to, yes, yeah. stay stay with them, stay, stay with it. them. That's part of your identity, you know. Like and and uh, look, this is uh, I, I get, it's kind of pathetic in a way. But it's it's for people that aren't just interested in doing; they're interested in being, and um, they're dwelling, they're dwelling uh, on in their own egos. Uh, they're not interested in the outside world. They're not. In, they're not extroverted. They're they're uh, they're introverted and proud of it. And this is not a healthy situation. And it's not healthy for little children. By the way, little children should be highly extroverted, learning about the world, doing sports, uh, using their bodies in action, not not contemplating their bodies in terms of their reproductive organs or. Uh, their sexuality or their gender or anything else. They should just be out there doing. Yeah. Yeah. It's philosophically to me, it's, it seems like it's this, it's the primacy of consciousness. It's this pandering to, well, if this is what you think is true, then that is what's true, whether it's uh, your gender or however you feel about things rather than like, Hey, this is what the world is. You have to figure out how to relate to the world. It's uh we're just going to change the definition of what's true. Exactly. And what, what they're really saying is the world has to accommodate to you. You don't have to accommodate to the world. That's not realistic in the first place because you will eventually have to accommodate yourself to the world. But uh, it's also kind of a, it's a, very, it's a very bad message uh, because the world is a fabulously interesting place. And uh, really, you know, the old educational principle that I grew up with was learn, 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 you know, and everything that we did learn was objective. It was, you know, arithmetic is objective. How to grammar, you know, um, uh, history and, and all the stuff that we learned was information, taking it all in, not about our feelings. Uh, so, of course, uh, you know, if you felt bad about something, yes, let's talk about it and let's deal with it. But, but a lot of the remedies for feeling bad was action in a lot of, you know, well, you know what, let's, let's get you out, let's play ball, let's have a game, let's, let's get this going, let's get that going. Um, when kids are active and engaged with other kids in, in games with rules, learning rules, abiding by rules, uh, this is better for them than, you know, a million genderbreds and, and, and everything else, which uh, is only confusing to them. Yeah, I, I think you're not up to speed. I don't know if you know that math is a tool of uh, white male oppression. Of course, yes, that's right. 
I don't know. I, I actually do know that the STEM, all the STEM subjects are being invaded. It really, it's, it's, it is like an invasion. It's like an oil slick, you know, like it's sort of like moving out there into all these uh, uh, disciplines that were once considered so totally objective that you couldn't screw them up with, with gender theory, but alas. Oh, my people will find a way. (laughs) 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 I love it. You write about both Canadian culture and U.S. culture. Um, is there is there a big is there a difference, and where do you see each of these cultures going? Is it getting better in Canada or worse in Canada or in the U.S.? What do you what do you see happening? Well, I, I think there, we're very similar in many ways uh, in terms of what we've just been talking about across the board. I don't see that as a Canadian or an American issue. I would say that's. Uh, a Western issue right now and very big in other Western countries as well to greater or lesser in England, for example, it's, it's extremely powerful uh, trans activism, uh, perhaps even more so than here. So in that respect, I don't see a huge difference in terms of the culture in general. Um, one of the big differences in the United States is you do theoretically have much more freedom of speech than we do here. And I do feel that that's closing in on us as Canadians. We're a, we're a very, um, uh, we're not as outspoken in general as Americans are. Uh, we're not so willing to go to the barricades as many Americans are on any number of issues. Uh, there's not a critical mass of people who have the, uh, I mean, in the United States, you've just got a million different newspapers and magazines and online. Th- I mean, there's so many voices that you, you, you can't suppress that many voices. You know, you, everybody's jockeying around, but, but it's all out there. And uh, you've, got a, you've got courts that are going to err on the side of freedom of speech. So uh, there's a lot of, you know, potential there to fight back. Here, not so much. Um, there just aren't that many voices here willing to, I mean, people say to me sometimes, oh, you're very courageous to take these stands. I say, I'm not really very courageous because if I got a rock through my window uh, one day, I'd probably stop talking about it. But I do feel the pressure uh, not to tweet certain things, not to, um, but I'm out there because I'm old and I'm, I don't have any further ambitions than what I'm doing. And if, if I lost my job, you know, because of it, I'd say, well, you know, I've had a good run. Uh, but now I have more time for my grandchildren. So it's easy if you're uh, somebody who's at the end of their career or, or an emeritus professor or, but honestly in Canada, um, especially on this issue, very difficult to speak out without getting just slammed. Uh, we have a prime minister here, the opposite of Donald Trump in many ways, but particularly opposite in that he himself is an ideologue who just, is, uh, you know, top to toe, like a man, he's one walking mantra about feminism and, and uh, you know, oppressed. And uh, he just he just said that uh, our indigenous peoples in Canada, they, there was a report on missing and murdered uh, immig- indigenous women and children. And the report concluded that uh, Canada is uh, committing an ongoing genocide of the, our indigenous peoples. Talk about, I mean, the, the indigenous peoples in Canada are, are the premier oppressed group in the world. I mean, according to them. So, um, and, our, and our prime minister, instead of saying, well, I think we have to use the word genocide advisedly, 
he waited a day, him, and then the next day came out and said, yes, uh, you are experiencing, you have experienced a genocide and it's continuing. He stops to have his people survey what he should say. He doesn't have conviction on the issue. I agree with you. He has no convictions at all. No, no, he, he waited in order to assess uh, the political fallout from either not saying it's a genocide or saying it's a genocide. He's very much enthralled to uh, indigenous activism, which is extremely powerful. Uh, if you think trans activism is powerful, uh, and that's not to say, by the way, that indigenous peoples don't have uh, grievances that are legitimate. Obviously they do. There's no question about that. But we've gone way past legitimate grievances and uh, now we're into um, manufactured grievances. But our prime minister and his government um, are very, uh, they're very much um, in lockstep with progressive ideology of all kinds. So it's tough, it's tough to fight. And even our conservative party, our allegedly conservative party, are so terrified of um, being dumped on and called racist or whatever, uh, or transphobic or homophobic, that they are so cautious. Like you've got states that are actually enacting uh, strict abortion laws. Uh, now I'm, by the way, uh, I am pro-choice in principle, and I don't agree with some of the draconian laws, but at least it can be discussed. At least, at least people will talk about it. There's two sides, and it's, it's openly debated in the United States here. Canada's the only country in the world with no abortion law at all. Sorry, North Korea also, and Cuba also no abortion laws. So we are the only democratic in the country in the world with zero, no regulations, no nothing. And it's not allowed to be talked about. And I, when I say not allowed to be, literally, our prime minister will not allow anybody in his caucus or anybody to run for office in his party if they have pro-life views. So that's, that's actually, you want to talk about fundamentalist religion. That's basically saying if you are an apostate, you may not or it's like saying if you're not catholic you can't run or if you're not protestant americans must be very shocked by that like how can you do that well actually half of the americans would or many i don't know how many <laughs> they, a lot they would love they would love that i have a lot of <laughs> so who see everything in that black and white fundamentalist way uh, yeah but would they say oh you're not allowed to run for office if you have those I, even they even they i think would I say know. well i i don't think we can actually pass <laughs> I don't think we can say that you're not allowed to run for all. No, even they would would find that a little bit, you know, weird. Maybe we're changing a lot here, Barbara. Just okay. in the past five years, yeah. yeah like your 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 prime minister um, is from the same SJW uh, factory as uh, Beto, I believe. Oh okay. yes. So isn't it Beto? Isn't it Beto? Beto. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Robert Francis. I love that his middle name is Francis. Like a, yeah. anyway. anyway. But I, but but I think there are more of those types who are now, who are are becoming popular in the states. Who are just um, every you know what they're going to say out of the box, or like Carter said, they pull and they decide is it is it acceptable for me to go this far and to use this word, to use the word concentration camps. I mean that's all I anyone's know. talking I about know. right now is where that, that was appropriate. Sorry, but that woman um, is, yeah. I, <laughs> yeah. 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 Okay. But so things are changing. I, I think things, especially since Trump got elected, we've had a part of the reason I woke up or had this big transformation in thought was because 
of what happened to my side after he was elected. So this opposite reaction occurred and the SJW left just doubled down and then flooded into all these other, I mean, it it had already been, we had already been in in the media and in entertainment and journalism and stuff, but it just became much more um, in your face. So it's very in your face. Yeah. Yeah. It's changing here. But a lot of pushback too. Uh, You know, I look, you've got Fox news. Okay. So, (laughs) you know, when you really get tired of all the, you know, the, the SJW stuff, you just say, okay, I'm taking a break. I'm watching Tucker, you know, like (laughs) then you feel better after an hour. We don't have that. We do have a couple of renegade people. We have rebel media and all that, but you see, they have no um, legitimacy amongst, uh, you know, respectable people uh, because they are very far out. They're very far right. So they're not on a regular channel. They're, you know, he has his own YouTube thing. Uh, what I'm saying is that in the United States, yes, you have extremes on both sides, but there's a big middle and you can get the information you want. You can see the different voices you can hear, you know, uh, and it's a free for all. And, and sometimes it gets messy, gets real messy. Um, but even on the campuses, when Antifa does something crazy and they do, uh, then you get a lot of pushback. And I, and even now I can see that. Did, did you see what happened at Oberlin college? Um, that yeah. big settlement that the bakery that got. Great. All yeah. right. So that, that in yeah. a sense, yeah. we, I, you, you can sort of sense a slight turning of the tide that people really, even, even moderate Democrats are, are a little disgusted with some of the, you know, the far out left, just as a lot of Republicans are disgusted with, you know, they don't want, they, they find Trump excessive and they, uh, but I mean, you know, the United States is, is a marvel to me uh, because people tough it out. They tough it up in the legislature. They tough it out on like the, the Kavanaugh thing. That was, that was like a, a drama played out in front of the entire. And I thought, man, this is, this is amazing. This wouldn't happen anywhere else. Uh, a lot of it I, I, I was revolted by, but still, you know, it was like a, they were duking it out. You know, the, the, the smartest people on both sides were duking it out. Anyways, I, I, thought, I thought he won uh, on merit. You know, I thought his side won on merit. But I was just, that's something you just don't see uh, in Canada ever, ever. Although we do have our scandals, but they're, they're not quite as exciting. <laughs> but you're, maybe the Canadians are... are too high on the agreeableness scale of the the big five personality. Jordan's agreeable. Yes, you're you're absolutely right. We are. We're we're um, you know uh, uh, our motto is our uh, peace, order, and good government. Uh, yours is uh, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Okay, so that's a very different. Wouldn't you say life, liberty, the pursuit of happiness? That's kind of very dynamic and and independent and um, aggressive and thrusting. And then you have peace, order, and good government. Like, <laughs> Well, and here in Texas, ours, <laughs> ours is don't mess with Texas. And don't mess with Texas. Okay, that's, <laughs> there you go. That about, it says it all, doesn't it? <laughs> uh, so Barbara, uh, I know you have to go soon, so I don't wanna, I don't wanna keep you because I know you've got another engagement, but um, maybe, Maybe you could uh, end by giving us some advice to parents who find uh, maybe their kids aren't even ha- having this issue yet, but they, they could. Um, what advice would you give to parents who, who have 
kids out in schools and might face this problem. Hey, I think that their children have to be forewarned. And I think that parents have to be on top of the situation. Uh, they have to be, I would be proactive. I would speak to uh, a teacher before the year begins in grade one and say, I'd like to know what your gender materials are going to be. Are you teaching gender uh, in grade one? Um, may I see your materials? And uh, they should show them, you know, I hope they would. Uh, and then you can say, you know, I do have a problem. Uh, my daughter or my son, very comfortable in his own skin right now. I don't want to see him coming home distressed or confused. And I certainly hope that when you talk about people, children being different and all of that, you'll make sure to reaffirm children who do feel that this is perfectly normal. And, and if she gets cooperation, fine. But if not, stay on top of those materials. Ask your children, what are they learning? And don't be afraid to say, your teacher made a big mistake. Uh, you know, your teacher thinks that she's teaching something good, but unfortunately she's not. Um, so, you know, it's okay for you to keep telling your teacher, I'm not comfortable with what you're teaching me. Like you've got to get your children to be, um, feel confident about uh, expressing their wish not to be confused. Uh, I know it's a tough call. Um, you know, a lot of parents I know, you know, who's not getting all this stuff? parents who can afford to put their kids in private school. And a lot of those parents are progressives, but they know in their heart, they don't want their kids exposed to that. So they put them in a private school where the, where the parents have a big say and where the, they're, they're not stupid, where they, they're very prudent about that sort of thing. Uh, anyways, uh, parents band, unite, get together, find out if other kids in, in the school are having the same difficulties, you know, uh, organize and, and put pressure on your schools collectively. Uh, form groups, form form a committee. Do not, not be intimidated by your schools. I think that's great advice. We're, yeah, we're, great yeah advice. we're starting to hear from, even on our little, our podcast, we hear from parents a lot who are starting to come up against this belief system in different ways. So, and they're always asking Carter and I, you guys talk about the problems a lot, but you don't give enough advice. So... No, no, I, I, I can see that even the woman I was talking about before with the human rights thing, she's getting a lot of, she's, she's going to start organizing a group in her area of concerned parents. Uh, and I think that is the secret because all the individual parents think they're the only ones with the problem. But there's lots of other parents out there. And if you put your voice together, uh, you will bring pressure to bear on your schools and you will prevail uh, because they can say no to one, t one parent at a time, then the next day to another parent, and the next day to a third. And these parents don't know that they're all facing the same issue. Those three, four, five, six get together. Believe me, they'll back down. That's a great point. You're not alone as a parent out there. Well, maybe they won't, but I'm... <laughs> yeah, don't be alone. Make sure you're not alone as a parent. Yeah. Yeah. And chances are you're not. Chances are you're not. Not The, world, the whole world hasn't gone crazy. You're 100% not. No. You're, you're definitely yeah. not on this. Yeah. Thank you for the advice. Thank you for your time. I know you've got to go, so we'll we'll part ways. Uh, but again, it's been a pleasure to have you on the show. We will put links to ways that people can follow your work in the show notes. Um, and thanks for thanks for joining. Hey, it was my pleasure. Thanks very much for having me. Thank you, Barbara. <laughs>